All right, here you go, a free pre-roll, but not the kind you can smoke, the kind where we advertise. This episode is brought to you by our friends at SeedsHereNow.com. That's right. Everybody always says, Rasta Jeff, where can we get your seeds? Where can we grab the new drop? The answer is always SeedsHereNow.com. Make sure you check out SeedsHereNow.com for Crypto Wednesdays, James Bean's Vault, and of course, the easy peasy credit card checkout. To catch your latest drops from your favorite breeders, check out SeedsHereNow.com. All right, here we go. Welcome to the show, Podcast World. I'm your host. My friends call me Rasta Jeff. This is episode 759 of the Grow From Your Heart podcast. In this episode, I'm going to answer a couple of listener emails before I get to that part of the show. Let's do a few shout outs to a few of those great folks who continue to support the show on Patreon. Let's kick it off with a big Grow From Your Heart podcast thank you shout out to my buddy JH. Let's send a big thank you shout out to B Bala and Doc Grows. Let's send a fist bump and a thank you shout out to Caribou Heart TV. Let's send a big thank you shout out to a longtime supporter, my buddy Glenn Geroni. Let's send a big thank you shout out to Frogman420. I always want to send a thank you shout out to my buddy 311. Let's send a thank you shout out to Double D. Big thanks to Kip. Big fat thank you shout out to Operation High Vibes. Let's send a big thank you shout out to Mr. Mean Green. Then we'll wrap it all up with a big Grow From Your Heart podcast thank you shout out to Elders Garden. Big thanks and big shout out to everybody who continues to support the show on Patreon. If you are not already supporting the show and you'd like to learn how to do so, all you have to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash grow from your heart. All of the information you need will be right there on the screen. And of course, there's a link in the show notes and in the video description to make it nice and easy for all of my friends to support the show. Speaking of support, I want to send a big thank you to everybody who has been supporting iRedirect. That's right, there's been an update to the iRegenetics website. There's a tab that does say iRedirect. That's where you will find a lot of great deals. Big thanks to everybody who has visited the website. Big thanks to the great response on the 4th of July sale. It was overwhelming. It was amazing. I am still packing up orders. If you have not gotten your tracking number yet, please do reach out, contact me. We'll get your tracking info updated for you. But big thanks to everybody who did participate in the 4th of July sale. Also, this is the part of the show where I invite you to the DGC Growers Cup. That's right. The Dude Grows crew is throwing a Growers Cup July 30th in Fort Collins, Colorado and you are cordially invited. Make sure you check out dudegrows.com for all of the information, for tickets, for details, for more information. Once again, that is dudegrows.com. In the last episode, I did mention that I was experiencing a power outage the day before, and I thought it was kind of silly that I did not talk at all about precautions and uh, measurements taken during a power outage in my grow space. So that's something I want to ramble about here for just a little bit. Uh, One of the first things I want to recommend is if you think you may, even if you don't think you're going to experience a power outage, you probably will at some point. So to prevent problems when those power outages do come, One thing that I would highly recommend for your grow, and I do a lot of things quite highly, speaking of being uh, quite highly today, I did take some dabs of some Lemon Jeffrey Concentrates made by a friend. We can't talk too much about who made it or how it got here, but we can talk about how much it wrecked me. I feel a little bit goofy, a little bit off. 
in a very good way. I'm not complaining about it. It uh, feels like I got pleasantly punched right in the face. I feel like I got a pie shoved right in my face and I'm just over here dazed and confused by it. These lights are super bright, but it doesn't matter because I can't pay attention to anything except what's directly in front of me. So the camera and the screen here, that's basically all I can focus on. Thought I should mention that. Anyway, back to my recommendations here. I highly recommend that in your grow, in any grow space, uh, if you anticipate or do not anticipate the power going out, I highly recommend a timer that has a backup battery in it. That way, a lot of you have that timer that plugs directly into the wall. Then you plug your light into that. Uh, you spin the dial and set the time correctly. <clears throat> you push the up and down knobs to show you when you want it off and on, and then it just turns and the things click accordingly, goes off and on as you set it. What happens when the power goes out? If you have a timer with a battery backup in that timer, the time keeps spinning. So when the power does come back on in your uh, building, facility, home, office, wherever the grow may be, then it gets right back on its regularly scheduled program. It doesn't miss any time other than what it was out naturally that you couldn't prevent. If you don't have that battery backup on your timer, the power in your facility goes off, the power to the timer goes off, and it quits turning. So when it comes back on, now it is whatever time it, when the power went out, let's just say it was right now, it's 556. If it was 556 when the power went off, it'll be 556 for the entire duration of your power outage. When it comes back on, it's 556 again. My lights come on at nine and go off at nine. It's not gonna be proper anymore. It's gonna, if my lights are off for one, if the power is out for an hour, I'm an hour off. If I'm out for two hours, I'm two hours off. It's not gonna be a, a perfect hour duration. I promise you nothing in life works that way. It's gonna be like an hour and 47 minutes and then your timers are gonna be all fucked up. Some things will come back on and they'll reset themselves. Some things won't even come back on. So to make sure that timer comes on and stays on the regular schedule which you had it, I would recommend a timer with the backup battery, especially for your lights. We need the lights to stay on a very critical schedule. Let's talk a little bit about the lights. It is okay to interrupt the day cycle. If your lights are on and you need to turn them off for an hour to spray, uh, maybe an hour and a half to apply a spray application, then turn them back on, that is okay. Or if the power goes out for an hour and a half while the lights are on, that is okay. There won't be a problem if there are interruptions in the day cycle. What will freak your plants out is if there are interruptions within the night cycle. Think about it this way. Uh, you are down to take a nap during the day. Most of us, it's cool, I'll take a nap during the day. That's not gonna piss me off. You tell me you gotta go lay down for an hour, I'll take a dab, grab my phone, we'll go to lay down for an hour. I don't really want to, but I mean, we'll do it. You know, it's cool, it's a good excuse, get some fucking rest. However, if you wake me up in the middle of the night by turning some lights on and fucking up my sleep cycle, I'm gonna be kind of annoyed. The plants have the same idea with life. You don't wanna interrupt the dark cycle, but it's okay to interrupt the day cycle with darkness. When you interrupt that nighttime cycle, that's when you really do increase the opportunity to encourage the intersex trait that could be in that plant. So one thing I recommend if you don't have the backup battery timer, as soon as your power does come back on, get everything back on that regularly scheduled program as soon as possible. Sometimes the power goes out when you're not home. Maybe you're at work, maybe you're away. Maybe it went off and came back on and you don't even know it. Go check all of your timers occasionally just to make sure that things are in sync the way that you think they are. This could prevent a lot of problems. When you're walking around the grow looking for pests to see if there's any bugs present in the room, when you're looking for other problems, just look and see are all of the timers on the time which I think they are set for. Another thing I should mention, if the power is going to be, if they're going to be working on the power, uh, let's just say that hypothetically that the transformer behind your house blew up and it went out and then they came and they got the new transformer up, but every couple of minutes, it's like they're plugging it in and unplugging it and plugging it in and unplugging it. 
uh, just fucking with it to see if it works as they hook it up there. Touch the wire. Don't touch the wire. The power in the house allegedly may have been going off and on randomly while that was happening. And you could hear the fans go. They would just start up and they would die. And then you could see the light flicker. It would come on. And as soon as it would get to full power, the lights would die again. And it was happening throughout the whole house. But the main concerning part was the grow space. If you're going to have things like that happening, just go unplug all of the grow stuff. Just go and do the lights. Go and do the air conditioner. It's not good for your equipment or your plants to get that sort of weird, random schedule abuse sort of shit. Just leave it dark for a little while. It's basically free. It's not going to cause you any problems unless you get big humidity spikes or something. But you're just going to have to deal with that when the power comes back on. So if it's going crazy randomly and you're getting power off and on a lot, just go unplug it so that you don't blow up any bulbs, blow up any ballast, cause any problems with your equipment. It's easier on the gear. It's easier on your plants just to go unplug all your shit then put it back on when everything is fixed. Don't undo the timers. Leave the timers plugged in right where they are, especially if you got timers with the backup battery. They'll be fine. Unplug from the from the timers. Pull the cords out. I got a big power box. I just unplugged the power box. Everything is all undone at that point. Um, don't overload your breakers. Here's a very important thing. This is not related to just a random power outage. This is related to everything uh, when you're growing. Don't overload the breakers. Don't put too many amps in one breaker. Don't do silly shit. If the breaker is flipping too often, that's a warning. If you keep fixing that breaker, the breaker, hopefully the breaker will burn out. If not, the other option is that either the outlet, the plug-in in which you're plugging your uh, overloaded device into, probably a thousand watt HPS light in a bedroom or two lights in a bedroom is probably what you're trying to do. You're going to keep flipping that breaker. Hopefully the breaker flips and burns out inside the breaker box. That's going to be a big sign says, hey, quit fucking doing this. Your other option is that the inlet, the outlet, the plug-in where you plug in the light, that could catch on fire. The other options are that the wires melt and catch on fire and cause a short somewhere else in the house, which could cause another fire. So don't overload shit. Overloading things electrically will definitely cause the risk of fire. The more electricity, the more potential of the fire. The older the house, uh, the more potential for older bad wiring, the more potential for shitty breakers, shitty sockets, more potential for disaster. So pay attention. Don't be that guy or girl that burns down the house growing cannabis. Please, let's not be that person. There's already enough bad publicity, enough bad shit on the news about cannabis growers. Let's not be those people. Speaking of being those people, if you're going to grow, have a smoke alarm, have a fire extinguisher ready, and understand how to use them. And when the battery goes out in that smoke alarm, don't just take it down. It's going to beep at you. It's going to be so annoying. It's going to beep right in the middle of a podcast and piss you off. Don't go tear it off the ceiling and smash it. Put a battery in it. Make sure it works. Save your life. Save your family. Save the home. Also, save the neighbors, save your image, save our reputation. All right. So I think that's enough on catching up talking about power outages. I felt it was a very good opportunity to talk about that since the power was going out here, was out here for uh, several hours. It, kind of, it was kind of frustrating. Imagine being at home with just no electricity. Felt like a caveman with no power here. Had to grab the phone, plug the phone in in the car to charge it up and just go drive around and listen to music. Luckily, it was a beautiful night, a little bit of rain, nice and cool. Now I'm just fucking rambling. Shout out to my friend who sent me the Lemon Jeffrey. Another thing I want to talk about, this is uh, just a random thing that I have observed over the past few days. I've been driving a lot. Uh, if you pay attention to my social media, my life at all, if you're included, you know that I have been driving a lot. I, I went through an oil change in like four weeks. So I need an oil change already. It's only been four weeks. I just remembered I needed an oil change. I'm glad we said that out loud. Something I've noticed, I've got some shoulder pain. I think it might be from driving because when I go like this, I can feel right about here. It doesn't feel so good. Not a big deal. It's not killing me. But um, you ever notice that sometimes when you smoke, if you've got pain, that 
Sometimes it makes the pain go away. It feels really good. But have you ever smoked and felt the pain just completely throb or get worse? Uh, that That's something that I've experienced lately. Uh, one night, uh, I smoked a whole bunch. I ate a bunch of edibles and smoked. The shoulder felt great. The next night, took a couple of dabs, and I, it was like, here's where it hurts. And it just started throbbing right there. Really weird experience. Wondered if you guys have that, thought I'd ramble and share. Also, another question. Do you guys go through that phase where uh, I do this, where I can smoke all of the dabs on the planet and eat all of the edibles on the planet and not get lit. And then also I have some days where I could take like two dabs and I'm like, I'm so lit. I need to take a nap. Just curious. Send me a message. Uh, grow from your heart at hotmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at GFYH podcast. Let me know. Do you have phases where you can smoke all the buds, all the herbs, all the flowers, eat all the edibles, smoke all the concentrates and not get super lit. And then do you have other times where it flips? We're just looking at the jar. We'll get you too high to manage your own business. Let me know what you think. All right, I did say I was going to answer some emails in here. I got super rambly here at the start of the show. Once again, shout out to Lemon Jeffrey. All right, the first email on today's show comes from a friend who would rather remain anonymous. And the question goes a little bit like this. It says, yo, Rasta Jeff, thanks for all you do. Bro, thank you for listening and thank you for the great question. It says, my question is this. Why do we dry our plants upside down? Is this just for convenience or is there another purpose? It seems to me it would be easier to trim them if they were dried upright. I'd like to remain anonymous, please. Thanks again. Thank you for the great question. I do feel like I've got a really good solid answer for this. We do cut down the plants. We hang them upside down. We let them hang until they're dry enough to start chopping up. At that point, we trim them up. Uh, then we get them into jars and actually start the curing process. Why do we hang them? Um, in my opinion, in my experience, hanging them, first of all, is the most convenient. It is really easy and it takes the least amount of space. But also, if we were to put our buds on a shelf or a rack or a table, there's going to be a bottom. There's going to be a flat spot on whatever we set that bud down on. A lot of people will use like a, uh, it's a little drying rack. It's a hanging drying rack, basically a weed hammock, a weed hotel, if you will, uh, to dry the buds in. It's a mesh hanger that the plant sits in. Those are cool because they're kind of bouncy, but they also create a, dry, a flat spot on the bottom of the bud that doesn't dry properly. I like to hang it because then the entire plant is exposed to the airflow, the air all evenly. Then we get an even dry throughout the whole plant. We don't get a flat spot that looks ugly. We don't get a bottom that's not getting dry and it doesn't change the shape and appearance of our bud. So I think it is, uh, not only is it really convenient, uh, it makes it super easy. They're just hanging all up. You don't need a bunch of shelf space. You can run a bunch of lines and just hang them. That's super convenient, but also uh, then they dry more evenly. There's no flat spot, nothing's touching, they're suspended, prevents uh, the opportunity for mold and other issues. Now you did say that you would prefer to dry them standing up. The problem is, uh, unless you're hanging them from the tip, which is a bud, which is a part you don't really want, you could hang it from the top, you could figure out how to do it, but if you, they're gonna fall over, they're just gonna tip over unless you hang it from the top. So flip it upside down, it'll hang that way, the leaves will go this way. Um, you said it would probably be easier to trim. I cut off a lot of the leaf before we even get to that point. While the plant is still growing the day before harvest, I go in and pull off a good portion of any big leaf, any leaf with a pedial, it comes off at this point. So those leaves aren't even in the room for the drying cure process. Those are already gone. So I take those all off, chop it upside, chop it, hang it upside down. Uh, a few days later, uh, bust all the buds off of the sticks, then go cut off all the leaves, then give it a final trim, then finish the final drying cure. So uh, we hang it upside down because it makes it more evenly dry. There will be some weird uh, wives' tales, some hippie stories about draining the resin from the top of the from the bottom of the plant to the top. 
that doesn't have anything to do with it. That's all a myth. That's all bro science. That is fake because if that were true, then wouldn't just all the THC come to just the main, the main top bud, which is now at the very bottom. So that's not real. It is because it dries more evenly. That is why. All right. Great question. Thank you for that. I do look forward to follow-up questions. There is another question right here in the stack of emails. All right. This question comes from our friend Frosty the Plant Man. Big shout out to my dude Frosty the Plant Man. Uh, it says, hey, would you be able to help on feeding in cocoa? I'm using 7030 cocoa from Eco. Oh, also I should mention our friend is in the UK and I am not sure what they mean by Eco. That is probably um, peat moss or probably uh, perlite. But either way, we're going to figure this out because it'll be similar answers. So they're using a 70-30 mix, which is great. It says, I see loads of different approaches with a once a day, once every other day, or multiple times a day. Is there a correct method to watering cocoa? Also on the multiple feeds, would you look at getting runoff every feeding? The quick answer to that is yes. I want runoff on every single feeding when it comes to cocoa. I want 10 to 20% runoff, if not maybe even a little bit more depending on uh, how often and the size of the pots and more things. But yes, I do want runoff every time. So let's talk a little bit about feeding in cocoa. You're using cocoa, you got a 70-30 base, which is great, that's what I recommend. I don't know what size pots you're using. I don't know if you're auto watering. I'm not sure about a couple of things here, but we can dial this in and figure this out. You're asking about uh, how many times, how often you should be watering. That really depends on the dry down time. I would water to uh, 20% runoff. And then if you're able to do this, I don't know how often you're there. I don't know your availability. Maybe you've got a camera, but this is what I would do personally. I would go to the grow first thing in the morning. I would water to 20% runoff every single plant. Then I would set a timer and then I would watch the plants. And as soon as one or two of the plants start showing me, hey, I'm kind of pissed off, I would hit my timer button or make a note and I would say the first couple of plants start looking pissed off at this many hours. And then I would start paying attention to where the average of the room looks pissed off at a certain amount of hours. Then if you really want to get crazy, wait another hour or two and see how long it takes for plants to get really pissed off. We're doing this shit for science, right? Make a note of that. So you got to note, and hypothetically, I'm going to make up some numbers because again, I'm not in your grow. Your pot size, your VPD, your lighting, everything in this room is going to make a difference on how often you need to water because it will make a difference on how quickly or slowly your pots, your medium, your containers do dry up. So I'm going to go with six hours. Let's just say... Let's just say that right at the six hour mark, it looked like the plants would have been really happy to get water again, the entire room. So if you're running multiple strains, if you can dial in multiple tables, do that. But let's just talk about the average of the room. Let's just say that right at six hours, all of the tables looked like it'd be perfect if we water them. So let's set that timer for six hours. Then let's watch again. Or let's, let's water them. Then set a timer for six more hours and watch again. Do they go six hours again and need water? Guess what we just learned? We need to water them four times a day, six hours apart. Water them to 20% runoff, wait six hours, water them again to 20% runoff, and continue this. As the plants grow, they may need more frequent watering or they simply may need more water per watering. That's gonna be things that you as the farmer need to dial in. I'm going to assume that when they get larger, if you're watering four times a day late in veg, all the way through the end of flower, you may be hitting them six or eight times. It just depends on, like I said, the VPD of the room, the size of the container. If you're using four by four, you're using cocoa. So if you're using a six by six pot, um, you've got the opportunity to water fucking 20 times a day because that's not going to hold much water. If you're using a seven gallon pot, you're only going to water two times because, or maybe one time. 
uh, because there's going to be a lot of fucking water in there. In a commercial grow, I typically use three-gallon pots. Some people want a five-gallon pot just because owners are owners. I am a consultant. I am uh, the cultivation director, uh, but that doesn't mean that the whole team follows what I say every time. That's I wish, but humans are humans and owners are owners. So uh, most of the time I'm using three gallon containers. I prefer either a three gallon fabric pot. If they don't want to pay for the three gallon fabric pot, we use a three gallon grow bag. That's my favorite way to go in a commercial grow uh, with drip irrigation with one or two water emitters per plant. So I've got my three gallons of uh, amended cocoa. I've got probably 70 to 75% cocoa with 25 to 30% perlite. I just like that airy fluffy mix. It lets me uh, it lets me not overwater is something that it helps me do. If there's too much water in there and not enough room for air, the roots can get crushed when they're little. As they get bigger, it's not as big of a deal, but I like it. It just does help me out for commercial growing. So I got my three-gallon container. I got my 70-30 mix, my 75-25-ish mix. I got my two emitters. We water, or I, or they, or it will get watered uh, first thing in the morning. Like I said, as soon as we start up the grow, one of the first things we do is mix up the water and hit the big flower room. So that room will get watered first thing in the day. Then uh, we got there at eight. Sometimes it depends on what facility. Uh, usually go in at eight, usually leave at six. I will check the plants around five o'clock and decide, do they need their second watering? These plants get big. I am not exaggerating when I say that in a commercial grow, you guys are going to think I'm crazy. I've got pictures. I can show you this and there are people that will testify. Mike was the metric guy, uh, the guy in charge of all the numbers. When these plants are harvested, they are wet. This is their wet weight. Let me say that very clearly. This is the weight of the wet plants at harvest coming from a three gallon pot with most of the leaves defoliated. The plants would weigh somewhere between 2000 and 3000 grams. Those are big fucking plants. We were growing those in three gallon pots. Those would get watered at eight in the morning and 6 p.m. So that's about 12 hours apart, but we were leaving. We weren't gonna be there in, at 8 p.m. So we are gonna water them at 6 p.m. The lights are gonna go out. That dark period uh, would buy us a couple of hours of not watering since they aren't as functional. The heat's not as high in the room. So we could water them at eight. They'd be ready for water again by about six or seven. We'd hit them at 5.30 or six so we could clean up and go home. We wanna, we, people gotta go home. You can't be there all day. And it's a commercial grow. We gotta send people home. I gotta get out. You know, there's shit to do. I gotta go to another grow probably. So we'd water them again at six. And then when we come back at eight, they're ready for water again. So that's a three gallon pot. In most of those facilities, we are running double-ended Gavita lighting. Those are, they say they're 1100 watts. They're 1000 watt lights, uh, but they do put out a lot of heat, a lot of electricity, a lot of lumens, a lot of par watts, uh, whatever you want to measure. Uh, those plants are really growing and really cooking under those. So um, I'm watering twice in those. If your pots are smaller than three gallons, if you got a one gallon pot, you're looking at watering four to six times a day. You're not going to have big 3,000 gram plants come out of that, but you're still going to have to keep that medium wet. So um, the way that I would do it, I've said, I'm going to recap a little bit. Uh, the best way to do this is to uh, turn on the water, water till you get runoff, 20% uh, runoff, then stop watering, then set a timer. See how long you need to go between waterings when the plants look like they need water again. Make a note. Look at your timer. It's been six hours, eight hours. Repeat that process. Keep in mind that during the dark cycle, they may not drink as much water as they do during the day. Uh, you don't have as much heat to deal with. There's not as high of a VPD. They're putting out a little bit more water. They're not sucking up as much water. So you may not have to water as often during the night cycle. Uh, it may be wise to stick around one night and just stick your finger in some pots and pick up some pots. 
Check out uh, WaterTech 1 through 5 also. That's a really good episode. If you're growing in cocoa, WaterTech 1 through 5 is a really good episode. I can't think of the episode number off the top of my head. If you watch the video, the episode number will pop up right here. Also, somebody will leave it in the comments for you. WaterTech 1 through 5, really good episode, will help you out. Um, I'll do it quickly because I'm not going to recap the entire episode. Let's let's just say that when you put your, uh, you're using cocoa, this method works for cocoa, for soil, for soilless mix. This is how I teach people how to water the plants. Let's just say that you fill the pot with cocoa or with your mix, whatever gallon, let's say you got a three gallon. I'm going to use a three gallon pot for this example. We fill it with our mix and there's no water in it and you pick it up. That's a zero. You're fired. If the plant ever gets that dry, you're fired. You're going home. Then let's all the way water it all the way until there's water fucking pouring out of that plant. That's a five. As heavy as it gets, pick it up. That's what I'm saying. Pick up this pot. If it is fucking sopping wet with water and it's super heavy, remember that weight. That's a five. Now, when it dries up a little bit and it's more uh, not soggy, but just wet at the like ideal condition for a plant, that's a four. Then it's going to dry up a little bit where you're going, oh, we might need to water this soon. That's a three. Then when you get to the two where it's like, hey, bro, are you going to water that fucking plant? That's a two. Number one is where it's bone dry and you're fired. I'm not going to ask you any questions. Let's go, what happened to that plant? Go home. That's how it's going to be. I guess I did ask a question. I asked, what the fuck happened? But I already know it got too dry. So guess what? Clock out, go home, update your resume. So water tech one through five. Number one, it's bone dry. It's super light when you pick it up. Number two, it's got a little bit of weight to it when you pick it up, but the plant looks like it needs water. Number three, that's kind of the sweet spot. That's where you're like, oh, we should water it soon, but if we water it now, it's too early. It can wait. That's number three. Number four is like, number four is like, oh, it's almost overwatered, but it's just right because we just watered it. Give it one hour, it's going to be perfect. Number five, it's like, bro, how much fucking water are you going to give that plant? So that's basically water tech one through five. You want to hover right around number three, like a 2.5 to a 3.5 is right in the sweet spot there. Number five, the plants are struggling to get oxygen. Number one, the plants are struggling to get water. So stay right in the middle there. Get that beautiful balance. That is water tech one through five recapped. Let me get back on my notes here. Let me get myself back on track. I know I did get quite rambly once again. Shout out to my friend with the lemon Jeffrey concentrate. That shit got me all weird today. Uh, help me feeding in cocoa. I think I covered that. People, different approaches once every other day. Definitely not every other day unless you got big pots. I think I gave you advice on how to figure that out. You do want runoff with every single watering, even if you are watering multiple times a day. I would recommend you do get watering uh, runoff every time. If not, the salts will build up in that cocoa. Some things will stick in the cocoa, other things will not. And then when you go to water, you think you're feeding one thing, but you're actually not because there's other shit just sitting in the soil or in the cocoa or whatever. And then it will get absorbed the next time you water. You'll be doubling up your PPMs of something and not even realize it. There's more. It does say another question. I don't mind answering another question. The first one was free. I will bill you for this one. Check for an invoice. It says, is there a reason why I can feed my cocoa with a 5.8 pH feeding to check runoff? And sometimes it'll be as low as 5.0. Would there be a reason or is something not to worry about? Uh, this is a really good question. And I don't know if you're going to like my answer. My answer is if you ask me this in person, if you're like, bro, why is my runoff 5.0? And I'd say, well, what did you feed it? And he'd say 5.8. And then my next question is going to be, are you growing runoff or are you growing ganja plants? My next question would be, how do the plants look? Like, are the plants happy? 
If the plants look good, I don't worry about the runoff. I do document the runoff, but I don't, it doesn't concern me until I see a problem with the plants. I only use the runoff as a clue. Like I said, if there's a problem, I don't change anything based on the runoff. I look at the plants first. Here's a rant that I don't know if I've done this on a podcast. I don't know. I know I've said this like on uh, Instagram Live and other shows. I don't know if I've done this here. Maybe it's time to uh, just do it again because maybe you don't listen to every episode like I think people may. But I feel like the the younger generation of growers, we have a lot of great toys. We've got, uh, they have, we have a lot of great technology at our fingertips and it's very affordable now so we can buy monitors meters gauges buzzers devices uh basically we can almost make the plants talk to us except we can't get that far we can almost do it we can get all the data that we need on a computer screen so one thing that uh i think we're losing track of is when somebody says there's an issue with the plants we go look at the computer screen and look at the meters look at the monitors which is cool but what about looking at the plants? Like the plants are over there telling you almost everything you need to know. If the leaves are doing this, it means one thing. If the leaves are doing this, it means another thing. If the leaves are going like this, it definitely means another fucking thing. If they're this color, it means one thing. If they're this color, it means the other thing. We're forgetting that as humans, we've got a lot of powerful senses and we should use those senses first to identify what's going on with our plants. Some of the best cannabis I ever smoked was grown by people that did not have fancy meters. The, the most high-tech piece of shit that those people had was probably maybe a pH meter. I don't even think they had a timer. I think they were just unplugging shit and plugging it back in at the right time every day. Some of the best herb I smoked came from a very low-tech room. Um, I have nothing against you guys that have all the great gear. I love all the great gear. I love it when I'm in a commercial grow and I'm in a meeting talking to management and something dings and I look at my phone and it says, oh, the CO2 ran out in room B. We got to go uh, replace the CO2. And they're like, how do you know that? And I'm like, well, there's a sensor hanging in the middle of the room. It's not detecting any CO2. It's sent an alert to my phone. And now I know to go replenish the CO2 in that room. The meters are great. Uh, like our friend is, is worried about the runoff. He knows the pH and the EC of the runoff of what he's feeding. That's fucking cool. But did the plants tell you there's anything wrong with them? That's the main point of my ramble here. Let's look back at the plants. Let's go, let's get away from the computers, the monitors, the buzzers, the devices, and the gadgets, and let's get familiar with identifying problems and correcting things by looking at the plants. I guess what I'm trying to say is grow from your heart a little bit. Let's look at the plants first and see if we can figure it out then let's use the computers, the books, the devices, the internet, the web pages to help us out as a hint, as a confirmation. But let's go to the plant first, maybe pull out a grow book, then go to the internet. Then let's start looking at all the devices and seeing what we can do. Let's kind of build a story, not just ignoring the plants and looking at all the screens. I love screens. The, the more screens, the merrier. My office is filled with screens. I can't get enough of them. But sometimes the plants are telling you everything that they need. So my main answer to this question is, uh, if the plants don't look like they have a problem, why are you worried about the runoff? If there is a problem, message me back, send me pictures of the plants. Also send me uh, details about the pH that went in and the pH that came out for the last two weeks. And if you can, send me details about the EC and what went into those plants, not just the pH for the past two weeks. Then I will review that. 
then we will do more review and see if we could help you out. But if they look good, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's what I think the bottom line is here. Dude, thank you for the great question. Thank you for the great email. I do appreciate it. And I look forward to hearing back from you if there are any issues with those plants. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys, girls, pimps, hoes, friends, foes, smokers, growers, clone cutters, pollen chuckers, all of you beautiful cannabis enthusiasts out there, I do want to thank you once again for listening to another episode of the Grow From Your Heart podcast. At a good time recording this show. Once again, big shout out to my buddy for the Lemon Jeffrey Concentrates. That stuff made this show a time warp for me. I feel like it's only been five minutes. I really have no clue how long I have been recording. If you feel like this episode was educational, informative, or entertaining, maybe you just like to support the show because I helped you out a little bit, all you have to do is check out patreon.com forward slash grow from your heart. All of the information you need will be right there. Also, there is a link in the show notes and in the video description that will get you right to the Patreon campaign. If I said any of that too fast, make sure you check out the website, iregenetics.com. Make sure you check out iredirect. Make sure you check out the Discord link. Everything you need is at iregenetics.com. That is all I've got for you for this episode. You know, I'll be back in a couple of days with fresh new content. I want to give a big shout out to my buddy Alabama man. And until next time, take a fat dab and give your mom a hug for me.